Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. All right, Aspire listeners, thank you so much for joining me once again this week. And I have a very special guest, which is going to be really a conversation about a topic that a lot of you have reached out lately about, which is going to be on stress and resilience. And I'm so excited to have Dr. Deborah Gilboa, and she is everywhere, <laughs> literally. If you look on TV, she's been a guest on so many different programs from the Today Show to Good Morning America, The Doctors. She's also a contributor to so many different publications. So we've got The Washington Post, The New York Times, Huffington Post, Forbes, so many others. And then not only that, she's also got several books, and we're going to talk about one specifically today, and I cannot wait to dive into this topic, but she's known as Dr. G, so I'll probably refer to her (laughs) as that for the rest of the show. Dr. G, thank you so much for being on Aspire to Lead. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so honored. You are, like I said, everywhere. And if my audience hasn't had a chance to see you or read some of your material, I would love for you just to share a little bit about your journey and what you do to support so many folks in, like I said, this important topic. So I'm a medical doctor. I'm a family doc. So that means, you know, I see people from newborn all the way through the end of their lives. And after I'd been a family doc, after I'd finished my residency and I'd been what's called an attending physician for about five years, I started to realize that there was a gap I had not been trained to fill. Meaning I was watching some of my patients who dealt with an illness or an injury recover and thrive. And some of my patients who demographically, medically looked really similar, didn't thrive, even if they recovered. And it didn't seem to be a difference in the medicine that I was offering them because I was offering pretty much the same thing. I got really curious about what that gap was. And the medical literature calls that gap patient resilience, which is great if I knew what that was scientifically speaking. I had an idea, a cultural idea of what resilience was. Some people are just born, you know, stronger or more flexible or better able to handle things. And some people are just more sensitive. So I first wanted to know, is that right? Is it just a fixed trait like your eye color? And when I looked at the research that existed on adults and resilience at that point, and even in kids, it was primarily focused, the research at the time, on people with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, or other severe mental illness. And although interesting, that wasn't applicable to the majority of my patient population. So I didn't feel like I could just suppose that it would be the same for them. So I set out to learn more about resilience. What do we know? What have we found in research? And what I discovered was two really interesting things. The first this is not a trait. We often say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. Turns out that's shenanigans, (laughs) total shenanigans. So certainly some people go through hard things and they learn a great deal and it strengthens them. But, and Josh, I promise not to ask you who, but do you know someone, an adult who no matter how many hard things happen to them, it continues to oppress them. It just stays hard. Yeah. Okay. So if what didn't kill you made you stronger, we wouldn't know grownups like that. Right? Yep. We might know kids like that, but we wouldn't know. So it turns out it isn't just a matter of going through obstacles or difficulty. So we wanted to know, okay, what is it? If it changes over a lifetime, it's not fixed, then what, what makes it go up and go down? 
And it turns out it is like a stock. It can go up and you can make it go up intentionally, not just by going through hard things and hoping it doesn't kill you, but it also can drop somewhat unexpectedly. And we figured out that to make it go up on purpose, there are eight skills that are the pieces and parts of resilience, which is how we handle stress. <laughs> there are these eight skills that you can build. Well, I want to continue with this because it's so fascinating to me. And our leaders right now in schools, they, like I said before, they've been reaching out. They are stressed and just overwhelmed right now. Obviously, at the beginning of school year, everyone's excited. And then over a couple of months, then it kind of sets in that honeymoon period is gone. And, you know, things get a little more exciting on the campus. So for our leaders, I really want to talk more about stress. And I'm guessing that a lot of leaders get stress wrong. And I, I was hoping that you would kind of define that for us so that our leaders can kind of get a handle on this important subject matter. And I would argue that our society gets stress wrong because yeah. we often hear you should avoid stress. I heard it in med school. They would say to us, I love this. Stress is the new smoking. Tell your patients to avoid it at all costs, <laughs> which sounds great. But here's the thing. It is, although difficult, possible to avoid smoking. You can't avoid stress because neurochemically, our brains interpret all change as stressful, even the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's for one really basic reason. Josh, you know your brain has a million functions. Even while we're sitting here having this conversation, it's controlling how your kidneys are filtering your blood and how you're digesting and all these other things, right? Yep. But your brain actually only has one purpose. Do you know what your brain's overriding purpose is? To not die. Exactly. Survival. <laughs> Right. That is exactly it to keep you alive. So good news. It's working. No, that is great right? news. Here we are both alive. <laughs> Bad news. Your brain considers every change suspect, even the good stuff. So in reaction to every change, Hey, school leader, the, you know, the bill passed and we're going to build you a new building. Amazing. We've wanted that. We have so many dreams, your brain and listen, I hope that when you get that news, you feel excited and happy and proud and relieved, but your brain still says, cool, but could we die though? To every change, the big stuff and the small stuff, you look at your phone to send a text and it says updating operating system. And your brain immediately says, who could be trying to get a hold of me right now? And they'll die if they can't reach me. It's never happened before, but this could be the moment. Your brain has three safety mechanisms every time it encounters a change or even the possibility of change. And those three safety mechanisms are loss, distrust, and discomfort. Mm -hmm. What could I lose that's crucial to our safety? Do I trust this change? Do I trust it's actually going to happen? Do I trust that the people making it knew what they were doing? Do I trust that I should have asked for this or tried, worked towards this? And then lastly, discomfort. What's going to be uncomfortable about this? Where will I park at the new building? How do we decide what color it will be? Which parent group is going to be the most annoyed? Loss, distrust, and discomfort are these three speed bumps that our brain puts after every change, even winning the lottery, just to try and make sure we're safe to keep us alive. So every change is stressful, but a lot of changes lead to good. And I don't just mean later you can see the silver lining. I mean, a lot of change we seek out because we want a better job. We want a different responsibility. We want to get a grant to help more students. We want to build a new facility. It's good change. And our brain still sees all that change as risky. So since all change is stressful and some change is really useful, 
looking at stress as universally bad is both entirely unhelpful and also inaccurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that point because you can't run from stress. It's, it's going to happen. Like you said, in all of our lives as administrators, myself included in this, I felt stress constantly in that role. And so I want to touch on the resiliency piece because you brought that on. And since we already know that universally, like you said, stress is going to occur in our brains, you know, how can we build resiliency in ourselves? So there are a bunch of ways to do it. One thing that I really want to point out to make crystal clear the connection you just made, all change is stressful. Resilience is your ability to navigate change towards a positive goal. That's the connection between stress and resilience. Resilience isn't only navigating adversity or difficulty or obstacles. It's navigating all change. You have to be resilient in the face of success. You have to be resilient in the face of boredom. You have to be resilient in the face of a new baby or adopting an animal or getting two new teachers in your department. It's going to help a lot. It's going to take off some of the workload. It will decrease some other difficulties, but all change is stressful. Resilience is your ability to navigate change towards your positive goal. Or put another way, resilience is your ability to navigate change and come through it the kind of person you want to be. So you had talked about navigating change a little bit already. And as administrators, that's it's all you do yeah, all the because time. Because when right? there's no change, you don't need leaders. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you had an hour where nothing was going to change, you could definitely leave campus and get lunch. Oh, that would be a beautiful thing. <laughs> so Dr. G, we talked about ourselves and helping kind of navigate resilience for us. But then, you know, as you said, as a building leader, you're responsible for hundreds, potentially thousands of other people. So, you know, what, what is it like for a leader to help others navigate change and I guess in turn stress? So there's a few things that you can do. And I do have some more strategies about how we can build resilience in ourselves, build the ability yeah. to navigate change more competently, more calmly. You can't make your brain like change because that's a safety mechanism. There's no way to turn it off. Your amygdala will fire up when it says, huh, I think there's a change coming. But there are ways that you can get through that cycle. I only talked about the bad half of the cycle, of the resilient <laughs> cycle. I talked about loss, distrust, and discomfort. Yes. And if you'd like it for your show notes, I can give you a picture of this for people who are more pictorial. Oh, but the perfect. rest of the cycle is choice, engagement, and reunification. Meaning, what choices do I have? And you as an administrator, you know, if you find out like, hey, we're supposed to be hosting the district student leaders council this weekend, and I just got a call that there's no electricity in the building. You're going to feel that loss, distrust, and discomfort, right? The loss of, oh my gosh, our reputation, those kids, they're gonna, they're so, they worked so hard. The distrust, did you check the breakers? Maybe we didn't lose electricity. <laughs> or who plugged something in that I told them not to plug in, right? And then just the discomfort, boy, how are we going to make a change at this late minute? I was supposed to go do this thing with my family this weekend, and the assistant principal was supposed to be in the building for this event. Lost distrust and discomfort. What you do as a leader is you think, okay, what choices do we have? Before you even list them, before you even start the, going through the, the list of, can we move it to a different building? Can we call somebody who hosted it last year? Do, does anyone know an electrician? Before you even start doing that, just asking yourself, what questions do we have? Lights up a part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. Mm 
And the ventromedial prefrontal cortex dampens the amygdala. I talked about how all those chemicals come out of the amygdala, loss, distrust, discomfort. Oh my gosh, could we die? Just by thinking or asking the person you're talking to, okay, what choices do we have? Or do you want to talk about this here or away from all the kids? <laughs> do you want to talk about this in the hallway or come into my office? Can I get you a juice or a water before we have this? Any thinking question lights up the prefrontal cortex, which dampens the amygdala. And it, it's like, Josh, if you walked into your bathroom and your tub was overflowing, right? The faucet's going full and it's overflowing onto the floor. What's the first thing you'd do? Try and turn off the water. Right. You would, I mean, you might also curse, but you would not well, get yes. <laughs> towels yet or buckets yet or call a plumber yet. You would first go right for that faucet. You'd turn it mm -hmm. off or at least down if it was stuck and you couldn't sure. turn it all the way off. The exact same thing with the amygdala. The amygdala is going and it's flooding that person's brain that you're talking to. Or maybe it's an entire auditorium full of people that you've just announced a policy change to or a mid-year staffing change. Someone left and you have to send out an email. And now everybody that gets that email, their amygdala is on full force. As soon as you can get them to think about a choice, you can email me back or get on our Facebook page or WhatsApp me, whatever choice you choose to give them. Please don't give choices you're not okay with. But whatever choices you give them, that lights up their prefrontal cortex. How do I want to get a hold of him? Which dampens, it turns down the faucet in the tub. You can't turn it off because it's a reflex trying to keep the brain safe. So there's no way to totally disengage it, but you can dampen that response. So one of the things that leaders need to know about ourselves and about our people is that as soon as we can give people a choice to make, even if it isn't a choice about the problem, even if it's just a choice about when we talk about it, how we talk about it, where we talk about it, what we drink while we're talking about it, any choice calms them a little bit. And before you say, take a deep breath, have a glass of water, because the lungs and the kidneys do clear these chemicals, we first want to turn the tap down. Wow. Lots, lots of process there, but I love like the science behind it and how you're breaking that down. It was so well said. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Obviously, we know that we can't get away from stress, and you've given us some great tactics as far as you know how to manage that and navigate through change and stress. I want to talk about some of the projects and, and ways that you help others, because I know you work with a lot of different groups, and obviously schools are, are one of those. So one project, the Resilience Think Tank. I would, I would love to learn more about what this is. It kind of piqued my interest. I was thinking even like the shark take, you know, type of thing. <laughs> but uh, will you just kind of describe that program and, and how that might help our aspiring and current leaders? This is a free initiative that I have. And every Tuesday, no, that's not true. The last Tuesday of every month, I gather leaders from different industries virtually and we talk about one aspect of resilience. So for example, the most recent one that we had, the topic was, how do you find resilience in the face of success? Because to my point, all change is stressful. So how do we, how can we notice getting in our own way? Maybe not applying for the job because maybe you'll be ready for it next year or not putting in for the grant or getting it, but then not using it to its fullest, whatever the it is. We talked about that. 
Next month, we're talking about boundaries, what they actually are, because I found in my research and in my work that this is something people get wrong a lot. They think boundaries is the ability to say one word. What's the word? No. And it isn't. And here's how you know it isn't. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Mm -hmm. So you, you say, yes, we can host that student council thing this weekend. You might be saying no to another event. You might be saying no to using that budget towards something else. You might be saying no to your own Saturday off. You might be saying no to having those student leaders engaged in a community service project. But every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Boundaries is actually your ability to align your choices with your priorities. Mm -hmm. That's boundaries. So next month, we're going to talk on the think tank about what are boundaries and how do they actually make us more resilient? Or are they just another thing on the to-do list? <laughs> we take one aspect of resilience every month and three leaders join me, but the entire room can ask questions. And we spend just 45 minutes from five minutes after the hour till 10 minutes before Eastern time. That's just after noon. And we spend that 45 minutes digging into these leaders' experience. And I always try and tailor the leaders to the question. So a couple of months ago, we did uh, an event about people who are really resistant to change. And the leaders I invited were a woman who runs the Pennsylvania Solar Energy nonprofit, PA Solar. And so she talks to people from really traditional industries about renewable energy. I invited a physician who's a pediatric infectious disease doc whose expertise is in vaccine refusal and how to navigate it. And I invited a guy who is a psychologist to professional athletes who are often really resistant to the idea that there might be a mental health obstacle to their work. And I asked all of them, what do you do when somebody just says, nope, this isn't even a thing. I reject this as a possibility. And what we aspire to do in those 45 minutes is come up with strategies that will be useful for everyone within the sound of our voice to use in their work. All right. So obviously a community is huge and I want anyone who, you know, is struggling in this area to definitely check that resilience think tank out. Cause I think that's a phenomenal space for folks to come together. You have and to work register every okay. month because yep. we had some zoom bombers. So, um, I'll put, I'll give you that link, but like That's I said, it's free. Wonderful. And if people yeah. can join or you can watch the recording afterwards, but if you join, you can get your own question answered. Perfect. So if you want that link, head over to joshamper.com. It'll be in the show notes there, but I also want to talk about another resource that you have, which is from stress to resilient, the guide to handle more and feel it less. And I'm always asking my leaders to, you know, find fantastic resources to help them out. So will you just share a little bit about this book? So this is a book where if you pick it up, you'll write more of it than I did. We took the eight skills that I briefly mentioned earlier and created one chapter about each, but I don't want you to sit down and do it beginning to end. I just want you to go through the introduction and think in the introduction, I ask you to consider what's the stress that's most on your mind right now? What's the change you're facing that's just really hard for you to navigate? And I understand that you might say there's 78 of them, but when you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you can't fall back to sleep, what's the one that most often pops up for you? Because that's the one that's draining your resilience the most. And then in the introduction, this book will ask you, and it's it can be, you know, um, online or, you know, or in your hand, 
it's going to ask you to think about that particular change, looking at the eight resilient skills, which ones do you feel like you could use the most of to bring to bear on this particular change? So it's really a choose your own adventure kind of style. It's going to say, okay, for this one, go to page 82 and start there. Nobody really who's reading the book and interacting with it would go through it from beginning to end. But anytime you finish a chapter, there's a QR code and it'll take you to, me, take you to my website and you get a prize for finishing because we can all use that as every fourth grade teacher knows. <laughs> it doesn't matter fourth grade or 12th grade. Everyone loves a little exactly. trinket of some sort to reward you for your wonderful behavior. So Dr. G, I also want to stress that you also do consulting work. And so will you just share with the listeners, you know, in regards to the work that you do to help folks in this area? What I do with schools is help with each of your stakeholder groups. So if you say to me, hey, we got to talk about how failure is actually a tool we can use and stress isn't the worst thing that could ever happen. We still want to be able to protect kids and staff and parents' mental health. So how can we build resilience and strengthen mental health without just running away from stress and trying to protect kids all the time and never make kids at all uncomfortable? And so what schools will often do is ask me to come in and we'll spend usually about a day and a half together. I'll do a parent event in the evening. I'll work with students during the day and staff after school. And by the end of it, you'll have new voca vocabulary and new tools to use on an ongoing basis. And some schools ask me to come back and, and make those tool using a reality. But either way, you'll have a way to move forward to have conversations with students and with parents about the value of stress and how to curate stress for kids so that we don't put them at risk, but we do strengthen them because every student in every one of your schools, you want them to be able to handle more five years from now than they can right now. And just like coaches, we have to train them up. All right, Dr. G, we're winding down on our conversation. I asked this of all of my guests, so I can't wait for your answer. If there's one or two things that our aspiring or current leaders can do tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, what would you advise them to do? One is I would like you to stop thinking that when you announce a change and people push back, that it has anything to do with your leadership. When people struggle with change, it's not a referendum on your leadership. It's a reflex. And when people struggle with change, it's not a referendum on their character. It's a reflex. Beautifully said. Dr. G, I'm going to have in the show notes all the different links to have them connect with you. But if they're listening right now, how can they connect with you to learn more about the work that you do to maybe follow you on social media or even just maybe get in contact to bring you to their school? The easiest way to find me is through my website, which is askdrg.com. And I'm on all the socials uh, at my name on LinkedIn and the rest is askdrg.com. Usually the doctor is spelled out. Love it. So like I said, we'll have all of those links on joshamber.com. And then if you are looking for another way to consume Aspire to Lead, we are now on YouTube. So we have video format also. So youtube.com at Joshua Stamper. And then of course, as you all know, part of the Teach Better podcast network. So this video will be on the Teach Better YouTube page also. So there's so many ways now to consume content. So uh, this is no surprise, but I appreciate everyone not only tuning in on the different podcast platforms, but also on YouTube. Dr. G, I feel like I have so much more knowledge today than I did prior to, and I'm so appreciative of your time and just sharing your expertise with 
you know, all these aspiring and current leaders. And I hope everyone that's listening definitely checks out her work and the phenomenal stuff that she's doing all across the country. So Dr. G, thank you so much for joining me on Aspire to Lead. Thank you.